everybody. Welcome to The Local Youth Worker, a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. I'm your host, John Parrott. Um, I'm here with Linda Oliver. Linda, how's it going? It's going well, John. All right. So, so Linda and I actually just got done recording uh, an interview with Amy Crouch, who is the author of My TechWise Life, uh, subtitle, Growing Up and Making Choices in a World of Devices. Uh, this is Andy Crouch's daughter. Uh, again, many people have heard of us uh, reference on this podcast, at least, The TechWise Family by Andy Crouch. Um, and if you've read that book, you know, Amy wrote the foreword to that book, as we'll mention in, in our interview with her in just a minute. But her book at the time of this recording um, came out just a few weeks ago. And so it's, it's a new book. And Linda, I enjoyed my, my conversation with her. I feel like it's, it's going to be helpful to many. Uh, any questions you kind of felt like uh, stuck out to you? You know, I think maybe her talking about suffering a little bit was uh, some of what resonated with me that I think will uh, resonate with, with listeners and I'm sure students that you're, you're dealing with as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that whole idea of I've seen so many students who are uncomfortable sitting in silence because they don't like the uh, just the thoughts that run through their mind, um, you know, but, and I think because they live in a time when they're able to fill up that silence with anything and everything through technology. Um, also really appreciated when she kept kind of bringing up the, the common struggles that we all face that technology and social media just kind of exacerbate and that getting to those struggles um, underneath it is a way to address this with all different kinds of students, no matter where they kind of fall in the spectrum of how much technology they use. Mm -hmm. I think that was helpful. Yeah. I feel like this point cannot be overstated. I know those who listen to the podcast know a few weeks ago, we aired an entire episode dealing with boredom and distraction. And, you know, boredom kind of seems like not that big of a deal and distraction kind of seems like something innocent. But when we're talking about it in the context of just trying to escape suffering, um, it becomes a very concerning and, and deadly thing. And in a lot of ways, because I mean, you're really just band-aiding over an issue that's that's serious and you know you, you just think of as we're talking about teenagers here those who are dealing with real with real suffering but they're continue to kind of push it down below the surface surface for years and years and years you just wonder about the fruit of that um you know five years down the road ten years down the road um that you know oftentimes as we think about pain it's alerting us to something that we need to be dealing with and if we're not really dealing with it in a way um, that we should as Christians, it's it's definitely going to to cause trouble uh, down the road for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that um, if y'all are familiar with the the rooted ministry, I feel like Cameron Cole from there talks mm -hmm. about one of the things we really need to be doing is youth ministers is preparing our students for suffering. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, this this conversation of how technology um, can make it harder for students to face suffering because they can um, avoid it, avoid just thinking about suffering is, is one that we need to be having. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned Cameron because mm -hmm. as our listeners will hear, as we, we get into this discussion, um, somebody had mentioned one time about uh, students leaving the church. And part of that could be that we're not preparing them from, for suffering. And I couldn't remember who that was. It might've been Cameron that I'd heard that from and just the importance of preparing our students for suffering. But we, we definitely, we, we get into suffering. We talk about insecurities, anxiety, depression, things like that. And again, as you'll hear from the outset, <clears throat> um, 
Amy talking about this, you know, as a teenager, you know, she was 19 as she wrote this book. And then now she's in her twenties as this book has just come out. And so, um, yeah, I think it's just important for there to be a teenage voice on this issue and not just, you know, parents and youth workers speaking to this as vital as that is, because uh, we've lived life longer, we've suffered more. And so we can bring wisdom into this, but I think it's important to have a teenage voice. Um, so before we get to our uh, uh, interview with, with Amy, just a reminder to uh, tell everybody to, to check out our website. We have a lot of Advent resources up there. We have a six-part study on um, Advent, and we also have some music that RYM Worship has put out. And so we've um, put everything together on a page. If you go to rym.org slash Christmas, you'll see some of those uh, Advent resources up there. Uh, there's also other Bible studies. One of those Linda Oliver wrote, uh, Church 101. That's a 12-week study that's free. Uh, you can download that on our, our website. Uh, there's a lot of other things, but uh, right now we'll get to our discussion with Amy. So I hope you enjoy it. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode. Um, we have Amy Crouch with us today. Amy, how's it going? Doing well, thanks. Yeah, Amy, why don't you just take a minute? Uh, we're going to be talking about your book today, but just go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience. Sure. Well, hello, my name is Amy and I'm a junior at Cornell University. Um, I'm studying linguistics and English, and I really like to study everything I can possibly fit in my schedule. Um, in addition to being a student, I also just wrote a book called My TechWise Life, um, and it's inspired both by my experiences growing up with my family, who were very intentional about technology use, and also how I've kind of come to own those intentions and disciplines around technology and really grown into them and chosen to continue them as a young adult. Um, the book is packed with research about what my generation, teens and young adults think about technology and also my own personal stories, just what it's been like trying to figure out this very complicated new force. So I'm really excited about um, launching this book and uh, really looking forward to seeing how our generation can really seek to overcome some of the problems and challenges that we face when it comes to technology. Yeah, that's right. And we're, we're looking forward to talking about uh, your new book. Um, we know uh, the TechWise family mm -hmm. was written by your father, and that was released back in 2017. And uh, you wrote the forward to that book. Uh, yes. So why don't you talk just a little bit about that and then kind of the concept of how this book came into being? Yeah, well, I, I remember when dad asked me to write this forward, um, I was at first kind of scared because to me, in some ways, our life seemed so normal that writing about, oh, this is what we did. This is what we chose to do. Um, it was kind of difficult to tease out what intentions we had set that were unusual and what was just normal family life. Um, but I think, yeah, writing the forward was really what sparked my realization that, oh, we really have made a lot of unusual choices and they're really good. And they've led to a lot of good things in our lives. And what I focused on in that foreword was essentially wonder. This idea that the world around us is so good that God has created such a beautiful and good creation. And that if our technologies distract us from it and separate us both from the good other people that God made and the world that he shaped us to live in, um, then it can really hurt us. 
And so that has, I think, always been the kernel of what I believe about technology. Yes, there are all of these other ways of thinking about it and other useful practices we can take, but that idea that the world has been created good and we should be paying attention to it, I think has always been behind my beliefs about technology. So for, for a few years, we kind of kind of floated this idea of me writing a book because I've always loved to write. Um, and it was, it was really fun collaborating on the forward. But um, we, it, it really be, started to become a reality when we started getting messages from parents who said, hey, I love this TechWise family book, but I want something from a teen perspective. Like I want to know what it's like to be growing up right now um, in this digital world. And so I guess oh, a year ago now, which is, which is crazy, um, a year ago now, um, I put together a book proposal for my, my own book um, with my dad. We agreed that it made sense to collaborate and have kind of a father-daughter um, conversation together. And I wrote it both during the summer while I was away from college. And then I also worked on it while I was a student. And I now have just released it, which is really crazy. And it's kind of crazy that it's coming out during a pandemic too, but I'm, I'm really hopeful <laughs> that it will be helpful to people. That's awesome. Um, I actually was able to catch a different podcast that you were on with your dad, I guess oh, yeah. pretty recently, um, where you kind of spoke to some of the inspiration for this too, being that um, there's been so many things written from generation's perspective, speaking to your generation mm -hmm. saying, hey, y'all have a problem with technology and you kind of wanted to foster some um, conversation amongst your generation. Can you maybe speak to that a little bit? And then Oh. Also, like, was it was it intimidating to be the one who was saying, hey, let's have this conversation? Yes, well, absolutely. That is one of my biggest pet peeves in this space is there are so many very well-intentioned and loving adults who nonetheless seem to kind of be giving my generation rules rather than necessarily paying attention to the idea that, hey, Maybe we can be coming up with, with wise practices. Maybe we can be part of this conversation. And, um, you know, one of the really striking pieces of research that we found in researching this book is actually among teenagers whose parents didn't set any restrictions on technology, about half of them say, I set my own limits. And so there really is, uh, like, my generation is noticing that there's a problem and is trying to... Um, trying to make a difference, but I think I, I think we need some good resources um, in order to really address the problem. And in some ways, yes, I absolutely found it intimidating to say, "Oh yes, I'll be the one who tells my generation <laughs> what to do." Um, but I think there are two things. Well, no, there are three things basically that kind of helped me get over that. First, this book is a book of my own stories and. It's not very much about me saying, here are the 20 things that you have to do right now. It's about me sharing what it was like for me to grow up and why I really believe that these choices about technology were helpful. Um, and then second, it's the data. We actually listened, in a sense, to, to my generation and asked teens about technology. And so I think in that way, you can really learn something um, universal about what it's like to be a teenager from this book. But finally, um, I think what is, 
kind of most reassuring for me is that this book doesn't have to be the end of the conversation. Instead, I want it to be the beginning of the conversation. This book doesn't have to say everything there is to be said about technology, but what I hope it can do is um, spark other members of my generation to say, hey, what if we do something? What if I write a book or create a resource or you know, start doing something about this? And what makes me most excited when I think about this book is not just lots of people reading it, although I'm sure that will be nice, I hope it happens, <laughs> but also of people choosing to create their own resources and respond in a way that continues this conversation. Yeah, I think that's a great way to look at it, kind of beginning this conversation, starting the conversation, because without a doubt, I mean, you offer uh, great wisdom in this book, but it's going to spark other people's thoughts in their own context and kind of how to implement this. And, you know, I think it's important as we're starting this discussion, just asking you, what does it mean to be TechWise. I know you, you kind of begin your book in that way. And as I've said, we've mentioned your, your father's book on this podcast many of times, but, but it's helpful to know, okay, what is a TechWise lifestyle? What, what, what does it look like? Yeah, I think, first of all, TechWise is an extension of wisdom. Um, it's, it's not as though our choices around technology are separate from all of the other disciplines and rhythms that we choose to take in this life, just as part of following um, God's commands and calling for us. And so a tech-wise life is just um, an extension of really everything that God calls us to do in our lives, but specifically regarding this issue of technology. And for me, a helpful framework for this, kind of a, kind of a thesis statement almost for a tech-wise life, um, is technology is at its best when it makes us more human when it helps us to um, kind of live more fully into God's image, which is who we're created to be, and to see more clearly God's image in other people. But technology is not good when it makes us forget who we are as children of God created in his image, and when it kind of helps us to forget that other people are created in God's image. So that's a kind of guiding um, belief, I think, for a tech-wise life. And more practically, I think um, it has to do with setting rhythms and disciplines of tech use and not non-tech use, I guess, um, so that we are the ones who are kind of in control of our technology and are making wise decisions about how to use it rather than letting the kind of default settings that the executives in Silicon Valley have decided will make them the most money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, but I think that is such a, a helpful and kind of concise way to think about it when, when technology makes us more human and, and not less human, because we know that there's so much, I mean, as we say continually on this podcast, there's so much good about technology, so much mm -hmm. that Christians can utilize and, and steward in a good way. Uh, but the, the negative, I mean, it's, it's a helpful summary that it makes us less human. It, uh, forces us to, to not see each other as image bearers quite often, kind of more to the negative end of the spectrum. So I think that's a helpful way to, to kind of put that in. And one of the things you mentioned as far as being a TechWise family is, you know, not having television when you were a younger yes. child. And so I am just curious, your perspective, how, how did that, and I know you share some of this in the book, how did that impact some of your peer relationships? Yeah, well, so it's kind of complicated because, I think on the one hand, it definitely did impact my life, but 
not as much as as parents sometimes hope or fear or anything um I think well first of all it absolutely was something different I have this this very distinct memory of when <laughs> when I was a kid in like fifth grade um this one girl asked me like hey Amy what are your favorite tv shows and I was like oh no I don't watch any tv shows and so I said I like the Phillies because the baseball team of Philadelphia is the Philadelphia Phillies. And the only time I ever watched anything on like a big television was with my grandfather to watch the Philadelphia Phillies. And she was like, that's not a TV show. So in, in some ways, yes, it was absolutely different. Um, I didn't have the same things to talk about. Um, and it, that, that did in some ways, um, mean that I wasn't, mm, it's just, it's always hard as a kid to feel like there's something different about the way that you, that you act or think. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I will say that was a challenge, but not, um, not insurmountably so, Mm -hmm. because I think ultimately, maybe I was just fortunate this way. I was able to find friends who, yes, watched more TV than I did, but also shared a lot of other interests. They liked spending time outdoors. They liked reading books. They liked, you know, making music. And so while I definitely had to learn um, how to be patient in conversations where I couldn't really speak, I also was able to look for people who shared my own experiences and who, and my interests. And so I would say that it, I definitely noticed that there was a difference, but that fortunately um, I was able to, it, it wasn't the most important difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think some of our reaction to that is to, I mean, if we're honest, our idolatry to te- television thinking, okay, how can anyone survive with, without yeah. television? But, but yeah, I, I mean, you speaking to j- just the ways to kind of find those commonalities to connect with friends, it does uh, deepen relationships in many ways. So that's, yeah, interesting for sure. Well, that reminds me of something that you say um, on page 30 in your book. You're talking about, um, I certainly noticed that my family was unusual when it came to our use of technology. And maybe you had social, uh, delayed social media access, all that kind of stuff. And you say, but I can't find any painful memories related to it. Just wonder if you can speak to that a little bit. Can you tell us why it is that that's the way you would feel about it? Was it because technology wasn't replaced with emptiness, but it was replaced with something else. Um, What was your experience of that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I was kind of specifically speaking about social media there, but generally Mm -hmm. speaking, yes, I noticed that there were ways in which our family did things differently. Although, as I said earlier, it also was kind of hard to distinguish um, between the things that felt normal to me Um, and the things which did not seem normal to other people. But um, yeah, I think I would say um, it's not that I had, I of course had, I think like everyone, many challenges as I grew up and became a teenager. Um, But it, it wasn't about my having less technology than other people. It was about all of the usual difficulties of just being somebody who's trying to figure out, you know, who I am and how to relate to other people. And I would actually say that I think 
growing up was less painful for me because I didn't have some of the unique stressors of technology, especially social media, um, especially social media. Um, and so I would say that while living this tech wise childhood didn't save me from all of the usual problems of growing up, um, I do think that it prevented a lot of the technology specific problems um, and struggles that faced my generation and kind of added an undue amount of stress. I will say this is not going to be true for everyone. One of the things that I've discussed, especially with my dad and my brother is um, that uh, it can be really hard when, if your friends, all the, the only way that they socialize is through technology, especially, I think this is more common for boys. Um, if, you know, all your friends wanna do is play video games. Um, and so I don't wanna say that every child who's growing up lower tech will will be kind of as fortunate as I am. But I do think I felt very fortunate and I think I was spared a lot of pain and stress by not having to deal with these, these challenges. Mm, yeah, Amy, you're bringing up such a good point because like you said, uh, I mean, everyone, uh, for example, I was gonna read a quote you had about insecurities. Every teenager has insecurities if they're tech wise or, or not. But I, I've often said social media is, is like pouring fuel on the fire of insecurities Ooh, that, yeah. that it does just bring about so much pain and, and suffering in many ways. And so I would, I would just agree from your testimony that, you know, while you had insecurities, like every teenager, social media probably did, you know, spare you from uh, so much that, that friends were going through. But you, you say on, on page 25, technology isn't the source of our insecurities. It's not like people suddenly started yeah. feeling bad about themselves when the iPhone showed up, but, but you say, much of the technology filling our lives both encourages anxiety and profits from it. And I'd love for you to, to speak to that. I think most people listening know and would agree exactly with that, but I'd love for you to speak to that a little bit. Yeah. Oh, there are almost too many examples. I, <laughs> I'm like, what should I talk about? There's, there's so much. Um, well, I think social media is the obvious example, especially for young women. Um, it, I just don't think it's that healthy for every young woman who's trying to figure out what it is to be herself um, to be kind of forced by social media to create a brand of this is my perfect life and then to also spend a lot of time looking at what everyone else portrays as their own perfect life. Um, I think that's just really a difficult thing to be constantly faced with everybody else's best moments um, and to be pressured to kind of cut from your own life those perfect highlights. Mm -hmm. um, and we know that Instagram, Facebook, what have you, profit off are spending more time, more time staring at, again, the other, everyone else's perfect lives, at the lives of influencers. Um, I, I think that can be really challenging and damaging. Um, I would also say that um, as, especially I've noticed this in college, um, all of the technologies which are kind of supposed to make us more productive actually just make us so much more worried. <laughs> um, like email, I, 
I get so stressed just seeing all of the emails that pile up, especially like in the morning from overnight, just seeing all of these demands that, that are, that have been placed upon me, seeing all of the calendar events that I've been added to, you know, I think there's really a way in which the technologies, which say will help you get more work done. Maybe they do help us get more work done, but they make us a lot more worried in the process. Um, there are so many other examples, but I, I'll just sort of say to summarize that I think that a lot of the technologies out there have essentially um, kind of kind of amplified this idea of, of urgency that you have to be able to like get in touch with someone as soon as possible. Um, and that makes it a lot harder for us to put forward um, kind of a version of ourselves that we like. But technology is also pressuring us to put forward a version of ourselves that is perfect and acceptable to other people. So it's just this really vicious circle um, of we're kind of becoming more and more frantic, but we also are feeling higher, higher expectations. And that is really tough, especially for a young person who already is feeling anxiety. Um, you, you were talking earlier about how, you know, you've had this tech-wise childhood. Um, and you have adopted kind of those principles for yourself. I would love to hear you talk about what does that look like for you now that you are outside of mm -hmm. your parents' home? How do you live a tech-wise life and how can students um, do that? Because for instance, I think of a dorm room if that's what you live in at college. And mm -hmm. one of the rules you talk about um, for a tech-wise family, or at least your, your father talks about too, um, is not having the smartphone in your bedroom, but literally your dorm room is like the only thing you have. How do you, how do you keep, you know, how do, how do you fight yeah. to live a tech wise life when you're put in different situations like that outside of the home? Yeah. So that is like my number one rule is um, <laughs> sleep with your phone outside your bedroom, but you're totally right that for college students that has to be modified. Um, for the past two years, I've actually lived off campus in an apartment. So um, I've been able to leave my phone outside my bedroom, but my first year I did live in a dorm room. And so instead, uh, I sort of kind of followed the spirit of the command by having a time after it was I go to bed really early. It was 1030, <laughs> which is like so uncool. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I would turn my phone off at a certain hour and make sure that um, my like downtime before bed was tech free. And similarly, in the morning, I would make sure that before um, opening up my phone, I would do something else, whether that was like, you know, go wash my face and brush my teeth or pray or go for a walk outside. And I think that kind of approach of mm, honoring the spirit of living tech-wise while adapting it to your own circumstances is really important. Um, for instance, like at college, you're not necessarily going to have family dinners that you sit down at every day. But for me, at least, there is this wonderful um, culture of like, you want pretty much every meal to be with a friend. Um, which is so sweet and so good. Um, and so I committed to um, not using my phone when I was eating a meal with any, but with some other person um, or using my laptop. Similarly, if I'm studying with somebody else, sometimes I'll say, hey, can you help me keep me accountable that I'm actually doing work on my computer and not, you know, <laughs> falling into some, some kind of distraction. Um, so those are some examples. And um, I would say that generally um, what's most important is just the posture of 
attention and inquisitiveness. Um, just having the ability to stop while you're using your technologies, your devices and say, what am I doing here? Is this something that's helpful and productive? And again, helping me kind of live into my uh, role as an image bearer, or is it kind of dulling and deadening that? Um, I think that if we are willing to ask those kinds of questions and willing to answer them honestly, um, no matter what situation we're in, we'll be able to find a way of living that's tech wise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Amy, just following up on that, I mean, it's it's great to hear uh, just the, the different context you're in and how you're you're seeking mm -hmm. to apply some of these in, in that context. And I love as you're bringing up getting a meal with somebody and, and trying to be tech free as you're having that meal. And I'll just say, that's one of my pet peeves is, is getting a meal with somebody and they've got, an, you know, an Apple watch on yeah. or something and they're constantly checking it. And I'm thinking, I just want to say what you're doing right now is rude. And uh, I'd like to be able to just have a conversation with you. How, how do you as a college student seek to do you have those conversations with, with a friend if they're doing that, or do you just try to not bring it up, but you also try to set an example of just not bringing a, a device along as you're sharing a meal with someone? Yeah, well, so I encourage having these hard conversations, <laughs> but oh, hard conversations are scary. They're so yes. difficult. <laughs> and I, I don't think that we're necessarily always called to have those conversations mm -hmm. every time some kind of behavior in a relationship is bothering us. You know, that's just kind of part of being a friend is figuring out where and when is an appropriate time to grow together. However, I do think that when it comes to technology, we need to consider having these conversations. And for me, the number one rule when I talk with somebody about technology is to not use kind of blaming language, but instead to acknowledge that we're both in this together. Maybe I don't, maybe I'm less tempted to look at my phone while I'm eating with somebody, but nonetheless, I still, you know, struggle with using technology. And so I try to approach these conversations as kind of a, a communal agreement saying, hey, it's really difficult to keep from checking our phones at dinner because we're getting all of these notifications and everything feels urgent. What if we could make um, a little pact together that we both put our phones, like turn off notifications and put them in our backpacks while we eat. I think that kind of approach of saying, let's do this together is so much better than, you know, what you're doing is wrong and you should stop it. <laughs> um, and so I think that establishing those kinds of little pacts with friends, just making technology something that you talk about um, can really go a long way in, um, in both in, in your own friendships and also in figuring out what it might look like for you to live in a tech-wise way. I think it's always better for us to figure these kinds of problems out in community. And I really think that if we start from this common assumption that we all have some trouble dealing with technology, then the hard conversations can be made if not easier, at least more loving and friendly. Um, I think I might shift us to the topic kind of of how youth ministries use technology mm -hmm. and social media. Um, and obviously you're not someone who works in youth ministry. Um, so I don't expect you to be the expert here, but I think you just have a lot of good um, 
thoughts for us to think about. Um, have you noticed any, any pros and cons of how youth ministries tend to use technology or um, social media? Um, how might youth ministries become more tech-wise? Do you have some thoughts in that area you could share with us? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, this is a good question. I, well, I would say, first of all, we can absolutely see um, kind of some of the positive ways to use technology in youth ministries. Um, often we'll see youth leaders use social media to spread the word about a gathering, to facilitate some kind of fun game at youth ministry. Although I know you mentioned earlier that maybe this is not the games model of youth ministry. Um, <laughs> even things like being able to send a text to a student and just check in at any time, those are really good things. And I think those are examples of amplifying the good things about youth ministry with technology rather than kind of replacing them. I honestly would say that I think the number one things that, that youth leaders need to do more is just to talk about devices. Um, in my own personal experience, I don't necessarily see kind of egregious errors in, in device use, um, but I do think that for a topic which, for, for devices have so completely defined my generation's way of living, and I don't think that, that that gets talked about enough in youth ministry. So I would say, first of all, um, discussing with students what the what this looks like at meetings for instance potentially talking about the norms of checking your phone at a youth meeting um of of what it would look like to kind of set aside phones whether like in a basket or you know just as a sort of group agreement i think is really helpful and also just um having ongoing conversations about what, how, for instance, social media, um, access to the internet, video games are influencing individuals' lives. I think we just need to be shining a spotlight on that. And I, yeah, I really feel that having youth leaders treat technology as a primary issue and force that's shaping students' lives rather than some kind of, you know, extra thing that, oh yeah, students will look at their phones. I think that will be helpful. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I just think that this is an area the church needs to speak up more on just, just as a whole, mm -hmm. not just youth ministries. We, we need to be having more conversations uh, about this. And I know it, it seems like I heard someone say, you know, when they were talking about the stats of youth who grew up in the church, but then leave the church as, as they grow older. And, and uh, some had thrown out that, the idea that it could be that we're not preparing our students for suffering. Um, and I know an aspect that you bring up in your book is that we can utilize technology to ease our suffering, that we yeah. can often just kind of run there as a way to kind of distract us from it. So I'd love for you to, mm -hmm. to, to speak the, to that and then also how we might can possibly uh, kind of speak to students on this issue of, of utilizing yeah. their technology to flee suffering. Well, First of all, I will just very fully confess, I think this is the thing that most tempts me when it comes to technology, um, is using it to avoid my own suffering. Um, I, yeah, and so that is perhaps why there's so much in the book about that. Um, but I find it really, really 
compelling when I'm feeling worried, stressed, upset to not like go talk to people about it or pray or seek some kind of real healing. Instead, I'm so tempted to just like go on my phone, I don't know, watch a YouTube video, read some, I love to cook, so like read some recipe (laughs) blogs. And I think this is because it is so good at numbing us in the moment. Technology is really good at just distracting us and giving, you know, just it gives me something else to think about than whatever painful thing has happened to me that day. But I really don't think this is good. I do not think that it is good for us to be constantly numbing our pain instead of feeling it. And so for me, well, there there are kind of a couple of choices that that I've made to deal with this. Um, First of all, as I mentioned earlier, just that posture of attentiveness. If I'm I've gotten to the point where I pay attention when I go to go to a device to make myself feel better. And I stop and I ask myself, wait, is there something else I could do to be pursuing real healing Hmm. instead of just avoiding this problem? I've also been very open with friends about the fact that I struggle with this. Um, And I, yeah, I've told them like, hey, I really struggle with sharing the things that are challenging me. Um, And let's have a relationship where we encourage each other to share the hard things and encourage each other not to back away from them. Um, And I think finally, I... One, one thing that I've, that I've implemented just generally in my life is a very quick prayer before using a device of any kind. Um, just really quickly, like when I pick up my phone after a little while, just super quick, Lord God, help me to make this, um, this time that I use my device good and meaningful. And that really makes me stop when I'm picking up my phone to just, yeah, waste time. I'm like, oh, I don't think this is what God is calling me to do in this moment. Um, And so I would say that it's this combination of um, an attentive posture and honesty with the people that we love um, that helps us to face suffering um, in in a healing and good way rather than in an avoidant way. Mm-hmm. Amy, that's so good. And then Linda, I know you're, I'm going to let you get to a question. I just wanted to follow up on that. I mean, one, just appreciating your, your vulnerability there, but to say, I, I would think everyone's going to nod their head at that and say, yeah, that's me. Well, whenever there's difficulty yeah. and suffering, I'm going to, to run to technology. And so just kind of a thought as you're, you're sharing that, just kind of speaking as, as a parent and for those listening to, to kind of be aware, not only parents, but also youth workers to notice those kids, if they're in your own home or in the youth group, always on their device as maybe somewhat of a, a cry for help that if, yes. you know, you're a parent hearing this and you notice anytime your child is asking for a device or wanted to utilize a device to maybe say, that could be a good point to have a conversation with your child. Maybe they are tempted to use their device in that moment because they're suffering or for the youth workers out there uh, to notice those students who are always on it, maybe as an indicator of they might be going through a lot of pain. So I'm glad you shared that because I, I think that's just something we could could focus on for sure and uh, could, could, you know, redeem the time for sure. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the most 
really heartbreaking pieces of research that we found as we were studying, um, again, that group of teenagers and young adults, is that high users of technology um, compared to low users of technology are twice as likely to express that they agree with the statement, I hate myself, um, mm. and also are about twice as likely to have experienced suicidal thoughts. Mm. And this is correlation, it's not causation. And I think we can see here both that technology potentially has a really harmful effect on mental health, but also that teens who are struggling use technology more, perhaps to try to seek help, to try to numb themselves, and so I think you're so right that we should be treating this as a cry for help, that we should see high technology use as, um, I, I don't want to sort of jump to easy conclusions, but that we should be aware that high technology use can be an indicator of something that's really wrong. So I really appreciate you bringing that up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's such a good word. Um, one other thing I've thought about um, just navigating technology and stuff in youth ministry is I, I'm increasingly facing the issue of having students that are kind of at two total extremes of technology use, like the constantly on social media, constantly scrolling through TikTok if I don't tell them to put their phone down versus the students who don't have any and, you know, maybe it's a eighth grade girl whose parents say, you're not even going to have a smartphone until you're 16. And I'm trying to speak to technology and the temptations of um, social media to the students. And I'm thinking, okay, am I making some students um, feel ostracized when I speak to mm -hmm. that? Am mm -hmm. I making them feel holier than thou um, because they're not the ones struggling with that? Um, and yeah, I was just thinking about that and thinking you probably have a unique perspective on that because you somewhat were that kid growing up. Um, if you could speak to, yeah, what your experience of that was um, and any advice you have for youth workers who are kind of wading through mm -hmm. all of that territory. Oh, that is such a good observation. I love that. Um, well, first of all, I don't know. I would say that... Um, I don't know if discussing the challenges of social media and of, of device use in general, I don't know if that's going to ostracize students who have experienced it less. I think in youth ministry, you know, there are always going to be some problems which affect your students more, some, sorry, there will always be some problems which are more challenging for certain students and less challenging for others. So I think it's, it's certainly okay as long as you acknowledge, you know, some people will struggle with this more than others. I, I don't, I don't think that you're at risk of making certain students feel ostracized. However, I do think that, you know, as we mentioned earlier, technology isn't the source of these problems, it exacerbates them. And so I think a really good way to approach this is by focusing on the underlying problems that these devices are making worse. Um, so maybe instead of just branding a discussion about social media as like, we're talking about Instagram, um, instead going in the direction of discussing insecurity and, you know, feelings about yourself, including a discussion of how social media influences that. I think that's something that every single teenager will relate to, um, whether or not they're using these various technologies. So I think, 
yeah, I think it's okay to, and very good, as I mentioned earlier, to address the specific problems that our devices bring up um, and that it's best for everyone to situate with them within the context of these struggles that we all face. That's good. Um, Amy, I know we're going to be wrapping this up before too long, but uh, you speak about your relationship with your youth worker uh, in in the book. Yes. And I'm just thinking, you know, as we said, kind of pre-recording, and we've said on this podcast that youth ministry isn't just ministry to youth, it's also mm. ministry to parents. And so yeah. do you have any suggestions for youth workers seeking to kind of partner with parents mm. kind of in their efforts to raise TechWise teens? Any thoughts there that you'd like to share with us? Yeah. Yeah. It's so, I think this is such a, a challenge, but a good, a good opportunity too for youth workers, because let's be honest, like youth, I feel so silly saying youth, <laughs> my generation, <laughs> people my age. Um, there are some things that I will share with someone, um, with a youth worker that I wouldn't with my parents. And that is, I think that's just kind of part of what youth ministry is for. It's to create those spaces where kids can feel comfortable sharing certain things that we might not with parents. And so I think that's really something to lean into as a youth worker. Um, emphasize that a lot of these struggles, especially with technology, um, it can, you know, sometimes kids almost feel like their parents don't understand technology, whereas a like 25 year old, um, youth worker actually has a much better understanding of what it's like to use these platforms. And so I think really leaning into that, that space of saying, you know, we're, we're willing to, to be here and talk about the things which, um, which might feel confusing or just really incomprehensible for parents. Um, that while parents can be partners in setting these tech-wise intentions, youth workers can really have the skills and the experience to dive into the details of what it's like to live with these technologies. Um, and I think also finally, just youth workers can um, encourage students to invest in their relationship with their parents. One of the things I'm really grateful for is that I, I have such a special relationship with my parents. I really love them dearly and trust them. Um, and every student will have a different kind of relationship, but I think it is really good for youth workers to be, um, yeah, encouraging students that their parents are, you know, want to be helping them, want to be a part of their lives. Um, that'll look different for every kid, but I think that anything a youth worker can do to help kids understand their parents' role in their lives a little more is really good and really special. So to sum, to sum all that up, yeah, I would say um, lean into the fact that youth workers, you're not parents and pay attention to the unique ways that your role as a not parent can empower both kids and their own family. That's so good. Uh, Amy, thank you for that, that advice. Um, I did have one last question I was going to ask you before we let you go. And I don't know if this is the most difficult question we're asking you or the easiest, 
but what is your favorite type of bread? Okay. Oh, <laughs> bring that up because I mean, you, you mentioned it, you know, at the beginning, you like to, to bake. And as I'm reading, I'm thinking, okay, I've got to go get some good bread now. As I was just reading you talking about the process oh. and everything. So, um, favorite type of bread for us. Are you, are you looking to make the bread or buy the bread? Um, I guess for me to buy it because I'm not, I'm not going to make it, but I <laughs> sure. was curious if the process of a certain type of bread is your favorite or just the, the taste, uh, whatever kind of comes to the, the forefront in your mind, oh favorite bread. I could do a whole podcast on this. <laughs> this is a dangerous question. I do really love bread. Um, Mm, well, like millions of others during the pandemic, I did start making sourdough bread and it's yeah. so good. I know yeah. some people have kind of abandoned it, but I have kept my little starter that I made in March and wow, it is just so delicious. Um, it's so tangy. The texture is so light. The crust is really crisp and beautiful. Mm. Um, and I also just feel very proud that it's like my yeast from my own, <laughs> my own air, which is kind of a silly thing to be proud of. So I do love sourdough bread. And I think that's one of the most yeah, delicious and all purpose breads. You can make a sandwich, you can have it just like toasted with some butter. Hmm. So I, yeah, I'm team sourdough. <laughs> yeah. I think, and am I mistaken, uh, San Francisco, isn't it known for sourdough? Isn't that right? Well, I don't, I don't know, know if you know. actually. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so my wife and I went out there for our 10 year anniversary and, uh, they had, it seemed like a bread company out there that was kind of known for sourdough. And I thought that oh. area might be kind of known, but who knows? Someone out there can correct me on that, but I didn't know <laughs> if you could. Um, look, Amy, uh, the name of the book is My TechWise Life, Growing mm -hmm. Up and Making Choices in a World of Devices. Uh, this was released by Baker Books. Isn't that correct? Yeah, Baker yes. Books. Uh, people can find it on Amazon. And I know Linda and I spoke pre-recording and we would say th this is a, a must own uh, for parents to pick up, not only to read, but to also put in their hands of teenagers for youth workers to utilize. I mean, I could see youth workers using this in small groups and having discussions about it. Um, but Amy, we, we really appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast, but also writing this book. I know it's a, a useful resource. Wow. Thank you so much. It's been so fun to talk to you. And the bread question, so good. Have not been asked <laughs> that yet. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. Have a good day. You too. Oh, come and buy without money. Oh, come and feast without pay. Good.